Section 14 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 14. The Ferry. Before the war, a fine suspension bridge crossed the river at this point, with two lofty piers of white stone, and its tarred cordage, spanning the horizon from one river bank to the other, presented that aerial appearance which adds such beauty to vessels or balloons. Beneath the great middle arches of the bridge, a line of boats passed twice a day, in clouds of smoke, without having to lower a smokestack. On either bank, washerwomen's boats and beaters were seen, and small fishing boats anchored to rings. A road shaded with poplars led to the bridge, stretching from meadow to meadow like a great green curtain, fluttering with every breeze that blew from the river. It was a charming sight. But this year all is changed. The poplars are still standing, but they no longer lead to the bridge, for the bridge is gone. The two piers have been blown up, scattering fragments of stone in all directions. The stones are lying there still. The little white toll house, half destroyed by the explosion, wears the appearance of a new ruin, a barricade, or some pile of rubbish. Cordage and iron wires are drenched with water. The platform of the bridge, sunk in the sand, water all about it, looks like a huge wreck, surmounted by a red flag to warn mariners. All that the Seine has to offer cut grass and moldy planks, is caught here, as if by a dam, eddying and whirling. There is a rent in the landscape, an open wound, that tells of disaster. And to make the sight still sadder, the poplars along the walk leading to the bridge have been shorn of their leafage. All those beautiful tufted poplars are literally devoured by larvae, for trees themselves are subject to invasion. There is not a single shoot to be seen on the branches. The trees are cut, their foliage thinned. And through the great avenue, useless and deserted now, big white butterflies float lazily. While waiting for the bridge to be rebuilt, a ferry has been established nearby. It is an immense raft, and upon it are ferried across horses and carriages, plow horses and plows, and cows rolling their placid eyes at sight of the moving waters. Beasts and equipages are placed in the middle of the raft, on the sides passengers of various sorts. Country people, children going to school in the village, Parisians off for a holiday. Ribbons and veils flutter beside horses' tethers. The little company upon the raft might have been dropped from some wreck. The boat advances slowly. The passage across the Seine seems longer than ever now, the river wider than before, and with the ruins of that broken bridge in the foreground, the horizon bounding those banks, each almost a stranger to the other, expands with a sad solemnity. That morning I reached the ferry very early. As yet there was no one on the bank. The ferryman's little house, an old van, standing in the moist sand, was closed. It was dripping from the fog. Children were coughing inside. 
Hello, Eugene. Coming, coming, called the ferryman, and he came dragging himself along. He was an excellent ferryman, still young, but he had served in the artillery during the last war, and he came out of it crippled with rheumatism, the splinter of a shell in his leg, his face all scarred. The brave fellow smiled when he saw me. We shall have plenty of room this morning, sir. And indeed, I was the only one on the ferry. But before he had unfastened his rope, more passengers arrived. First came a stout, bright-eyed farmer's wife, going to market at Corbet, with a big basket upon each arm, which straightened her rustic figure and helped her to walk firmly and directly. Behind her, in the hollow road, came others whose figures were seen indistinctly through the mist, though their voices could be heard. One of these voices was a woman's, gentle and tearful. "'Oh, Monsieur Chachignon, I beseech you, do not press us so hard. You know he has work now. Only give him time enough to pay you. That is all he asks.' "'I have given him time enough. I have given him altogether too long.' "'answered the voice of an old peasant. "'The words were mumbled through his toothless jaws. "'The tone of the voice was cruel. "'The sheriff must tend to this matter now. "'He may do as he chooses. "'Hallo, Eugene!' "'Tis that scoundrel Chachignot,' the ferryman whispered to me. "'Here, here!' "'At that moment I saw arrive upon the bank a tall old man.' tricked out in a frock coat of coarse cloth, and a silk hat very tall and very new. This sunburned and wrinkled peasant, with his knotted finger joints deformed by hard work, looked more sunburned and sinister than ever in the clothes of a gentleman. Obstinacy stamped his features, and a big hooked nose like an Apache Indian's, pinched lips and wrinkles that maliciousness had written upon his face, lent to his countenance a ferocity quite in keeping with the name of Chachignon. "'Come, Eugene, make haste,' he said, stepping on to the ferry, his voice trembling with anger. The farmer's wife approached him, as the ferryman was saying, "'What's the matter, Father Chachignon?' "'Oh, is it you, Blanche? Don't speak to me about it. I am furious. Those beggarly Mazilliers!' and he pointed out with his fist a tiny, stunted, dark figure going back along the hollow road weeping. What have these people done to vex you? What have they done? They owe me four quarters rent and all my vintage besides, and I can't get a single sou from them. And now I'll put it in the sheriff's hand, and he will throw the blackguards into the street. But this Mazillier is a worthy fellow. Perhaps it is not his fault that he cannot pay you. So many people have lost so much through this war. The old peasant exploded. He's a fool. He might have made his fortune with the Prussians, but he wouldn't do it. Not he. From the day the Prussians arrived, he closed his tavern, took down his sign. At other cafés, they've done a fine business during the war, but he refused to sell a single sou's worth. Worse even than that. He managed to get himself put in prison through his insolence. He's a fool, I tell you. Why did he meddle with affairs that were no concern of his? Was he one of the military? 
All he had to do was furnish wine and brandy to his customers. Then he would have been able to pay me, the rascal. Well, I'll teach him how to play patriot. And red with indignation, he moved about in his frock coat, in the clownish fashion of a countryman used only to the blouse. As he continued, the clear eyes of the farmer's wife, filled a few moments before with compassion for these mazeliers, grew hard and almost scornful. She was a peasant herself, and such entertained no very high opinion of those who refuse to make money when opportunity offers. At first, she had said, It's very hard for the wife. But a moment later she observed, Yes, that's true. One should not turn his back upon his luck. Her conclusion was, You are right, old man. When one owes, he must pay. Chachignot repeated again and again through his clenched teeth, He's a fool! He's a fool! The ferryman, who was listening to them both, although busied in steering the raft along with his pole, felt that he ought to speak now. Don't be so cruel, Father Chachignot. What good will it do you to go to the sheriff? What would you gain by making these poor wretches sell their all? Wait a little. You can afford to do that. The old man turned upon him as if bitten. Yes, I'd advise you to talk. You, a good-for-nothing. You are another of those patriots. Isn't it a shame? Five children and not a sou for them. But he must amuse himself firing off cannons, which no one compelled him to do. And I put it to you, monsieur, I believe the miserable wretch addressed myself, what good has all that sort of thing done us? Himself, for example, what did he gain by it? He got his face battered and lost a good position he had. And now look at him, living like a gypsy, in a hole open to every wind that blows, his children sickening from it, his wife breaking her back over the wash-tub. Isn't he a fool, too? Anger flashed in the ferryman's eyes. I saw the scar upon his wan face deepen and grow whiter, but he was able to restrain himself and vented his rage upon the pole, which he shoved into the sand so roughly that he almost twisted it. A word more might have cost him even the place he had, for Monsieur Chachignot is an authority in that part of the country. He is one of the municipal council. End of section 14. Recording by Linda Johnson.